We'll talk later. <laughs> Glad you are with us here today, that you've made that journey and this Jack London story of winter. What a thrill. What a thrill. I'm glad that you are with us, and for those who are joining us online, some were not able to get out, so they have chosen to stay home, and I think that's a wise choice for many today. And for us here today, we here today, all 12 of us, all 12 of us <laughs> we are going to be fed. This is coming close to the end of the month, so... That's the last of the study of the life of the Apostle Paul for our devotionals. And December is going to be a study in the book of Ecclesiastes. And that, the first seven days of that are out on the shelf. So if you'd like to pick one of those up, those are available on our Facebook in a video edition of that as well. Every so often, we need a recalibration. Some of you technical people understand what it means to have to recalibrate something. According to our nuclear clock back there, or atomic clock, I like to call it nuclear, it sounds so much more dangerous. Our atomic clock is based on the time that is given somewhere out in a mountain in Colorado, I believe. Coordinated universal time. Every once in a while, when the battery goes out on that and it has to recalibrate itself, it will just spin like a whirling dervish until it comes back to exactly that time. Every so often, our clocks need to be recalibrated. And it typically takes an act of Congress to do that, believe it or not, before we can add one second to our clocks. It has to be done every once in a while. Those who are in the military know all about UTC or CUT or Coordinated Universal Time. It takes an act of Congress just to shift that clock one second. Our lives aren't affected by it, we don't think, but they really are. Our GPS on our cars, those satellites that are up there need constant recalibration might not affect how you and I get to our destination. Sometimes it shows our cars out in the middle of a field as we're driving. That's okay. But for planes that are trying to land and take off, it means all the difference in the world. And for you and I, when was the last time you recalibrated your thought process? sort of zeroed it back in on our computers. I know when I have to recalibrate and it gives me something's wrong with my computer, you know how I recalibrate it? I turn it off and turn it back on. <laughs> that fixes almost 99% of the problems that I have with my computer. Just turn it off and turn it back on and everything's fine. If it isn't, I turn it off and turn it back on again until it does fix itself or I go to bed. In our passage today, Paul gives us, and we're going to spend our time in verse 8, when he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's anything, any excellence, 
If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And it may be that we wander from that path of thinking about excellent things. We have to recalibrate and bring ourselves back on that path. Well, that's what today is all about. Somehow or another, I'll try to make sure that we get the whole load of hay in a timely fashion. And I wonder sometimes in my, my thought process, Paul, why did you write that? I mean, what is it about that particular verse that you felt that it was necessary for those in Philippi? And the answer to that question might be found within the context of the entire letter that Paul wrote. If you want to turn back to chapter 1, and Paul wrote four letters from the prison in Rome. They're called his prison epistles. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and the letter to Philemon. He writes them from prison. But in verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What happened to you, Paul? Paul has been arrested and is spending time in prison. The end of Acts chapter 28, Luke writes that he spent the next two years in prison, and he may have spent longer than that. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened, this fact that I am in prison, has served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Not only that, verse 14, and most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now think of what it must have been like for those people in Philippi who were hundreds away, hundreds of miles away from Rome. And they're wondering, what on earth is happening with Paul? And as human nature is, when we hear that something bad is going on a long ways away, sometimes we panic. Now, not us and not modern-day United States, because when something goes wrong in the United States, we're always confident, right? We never see anybody panic. We never see any division in our country. Is that correct? Absolutely not. It doesn't take much for us to become panic-stricken. And Paul wants to really make sure that they are not... What's the term I want to use? They're not going to be swayed by what's happening to Paul. You come down to the end of the letter in chapter 4. He begins in verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Paul's writing a letter and he talks to the guards who have been beating him and whipping him. Hey, would you like me to say hi to the folks in Philippi? Sure, tell them we said hi. No, that's not what's happening. Says the people, if we go back to chapter 1, they all know why I'm here in prison. Well, how do they know that? Because Paul continues to preach. And he says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Paul has not lost his focus in preaching the gospel. And those people that are guarding him, and those people that are members of Caesar's household, whether they are the imperial guard, which is perhaps... 
equal to maybe what we might call the secret service, those who are elevated there in Rome. Because after all, Caesar does not want just your average soldier to guard around that area. He wants the best, the elite, especially those of Caesar's household. He says, but I don't want you to become alarmed about this. He says in verse 8, whatever is true, he gives us a list of things that he wants us and them to think about. And do you think that is only for them in the first century? Is that for us today? For us to not become alarmed, not think of the negativity. You may have noticed that there is more than enough negativity in this world today. Have you found that? I discovered that just a couple of days ago, that there's a lot of negativity in the world. No, it's always been there. And I have to fight that every single morning when I get up. I have to make that choice of whether or not I'm going to let the doom and gloom and the naysayers, the skeptics and the scoffers, affect me. So I have to recalibrate every morning and tell me that these are the things that I need to think about, that I need to ponder. And he starts off with talking about whatever is true. And what is true in this world? Now, if you're following the outline, you'll see that there are some things listed that are true. Jesus said that thy word, talking about the word of God, thy word is truth. What shall we think about that is true? We ought to be thinking about God's word. That is truth. John writes that, not only what Jesus said in the Gospel of John in John 17, 17, but he also writes it in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And there's a reason why John has written this in his letter. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, and we have looked upon and have touched with our hands. Why would that be important to know? Janine and I watched a a debate recently in which Dan Barker made the statement that Jesus really didn't live. He was just a legend. No, John said, we have heard, we have seen with our eyes, we looked upon and we touched him. There's your witness right there. And consider what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8. Why would Paul go through the arduous task of saying in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning with verse 3, For I delivered to you of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Okay, that's good. That's what we call the gospel, death, burial, resurrection of Christ. And he goes on to say, and that he appeared to Cephas and the twelve, Cephas being Peter and the twelve. He appeared to the apostles. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Why is that important? Because Peter said that when he wrote his second letter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and commandments of the Lord and Savior through the apostles. 
Knowing first of all that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Scoffers and skeptics. The world has no lack of them. And those who say, Jesus never existed. You people believe in a myth. Not according to Paul. Not according to Peter. Not according to John. He says, we saw him. We heard him. And we even felt him after the resurrection. What more do we need? And he said, more than 500 people saw him. So the next time that someone says that Jesus is just a myth, would you just have them prove that he was just a myth? Historically, he existed. And the scriptures show us without a doubt that he did exist. That is truth. Those things are true. Think upon those things. We just thought upon those as we took of his body and his blood. We proclaim every first day of the week. Why is that every first day of the week? Take a glance back to the Old Testament and look at Israel and the Jews who time and time again forgot the commandments of the Lord. But not us, because every week we gather together to be reminded of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We don't want to be like Pontius Pilate when Jesus stood before him. And Jesus said, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice in John chapter 18, verses 37 to 38. And all that Pilate could say was, what is truth? He sounds like a postmodernist, doesn't he? What is truth? How can we define? There is no truth. Let's see that saying. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Things haven't changed all that much. What is truth? We know what truth is because we have it in Scripture. Whatever is honorable. The Greek word means whatever is honest and venerable. In Acts chapter 17, we read of a particular group of people in Berea. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas in Acts 17, beginning in verse 10. They sent them away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Were they of noble birth? Or were they noble because they searched the scriptures to see if these things were true? Well, both of those things come into play. Receive the word with all eagerness. Examining the scriptures. They were looking for things that were honest and venerable in truth. I think of the Disciple Nathanael in John chapter 1 and verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. One of your versions may say, there is no guile. There's no trickery in him. What you see is what you get. He was an honorable man. 
Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verses 10 through 12, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good, and let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. A quote from the Old Testament. Let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Those things which are honest. And we recognize people that are honorable and honest in this world. And we admire them for it. Though the world tries to tear them to shreds, we recognize honor when we see it. Whatever is just, the Greek word means innocent, right, and righteous. And we're going to see that all of these words that we look at seem to overlap in their meaning. And stepping back and looking at the big picture of these things that we are to think about sets us on a higher plane of thinking. You see, it's the same word, the same concept of what Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 11. A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. You see, a just balance was fair, and it was right, and it was true. There was no trickery or deceit in that. When you went into the marketplace and there were just scales, you knew that what you were paying for is exactly what you got. Those things that are right and righteous. Herod feared John the Baptist, but he recognized that he was righteous and that he was holy. Cornelius, a centurion, was told of him, he was a devout man who feared God, in verse 1 of Acts chapter 10. Dropping down to verse 22, when the men came to describe Cornelius, he says, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. See, the Jews didn't have much good to say about the Romans, but they recognized when a man was righteous and devout, He believed in the one God, and they recognized that as righteousness among him. Whatever is pure, the Greek word means clean or chaste or innocent. We recognize that from the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus gives the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Peter writes, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, for in both of which I stir up your Pure minds by way of reminder. Pure minds. Minds that are not adulterated by the world. We are seeking to keep ourselves pure. And that is a full-time job in this day and age. Interesting that the word for pure in Matthew chapter 5, 8 uh, is that word hognos, which means clean, chaste, or innocent. But Peter uses a different word, which means it is judged by the sunlight. When light comes on it, we're able to see it in all of its purity. Its purity is revealed by sunlight. Whatever is lovely, friendly towards, acceptable. Paul writes, In 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Acceptable towards God. Paul would 
pardon me, the writer of the book of Hebrews would write in Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Pursuing peace with all people. That's the idea that is put forth in that Greek word for whatever is lovely. It means prosphilaos. We recognize that word phileo as brotherly. Brotherly love. Pursue peace with all people. Paul would write to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5.13, and esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. The same thing he writes to the church at Rome. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You really want to set yourself apart in this world? Seek to be at peace with all people. Another full-time job of what it takes to live at peace in your lives. Whatever is commendable, whatever is well spoken of, that has a good report among it. We looked at people who were honorable. Ananias, who was waiting for Paul in Damascus. He was well spoken of by all. Tabitha, in Acts chapter 9, was full of good works and acts of charity. And When Peter came and they beckoned him to come to raise her from the dead, they showed all of her good works. She was well known. She had that good reputation. She was well spoken of by this. Peter writes of what a woman ought to adorn herself with. In 1 Peter chapter 3, he begins, Likewise, wives, be, sudden, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Those things that are of a good report, that are well spoken of. Think about these things. Logizomai, to esteem or to reckon or to take an inventory. Think about these things. And I believe that you will agree that everything that Paul has spoken of there and whatever is lovely, you'll find that is what we ought to be thinking of. And it makes sense for this. Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. By the way, all of these verses are on that outline if I'm going a little bit too fast. Peter writes, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. Glory and excellence, that term is virtue. Things that are virtuous, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Some of your versions may say excellence. These are the things that we add to our faith, things that are virtuous. 
I brought a book up with me, and I've had it for many, many years. Written by a man named William J. Bennett, and it's called The Book of Virtues. I treasure this. He made a version for children. Children should be taught things that are virtuous. Courage, compassion, truth. These are the things that we give as a foundation for our children. You see, Paul's passage here in verse 8 of Philippians chapter 4 is not just for grown-ups, but it's for all, for children on up to those. I'm not going to tell you I'm 39 anymore. Tim told me I can't say that anymore. But even people my age, to recalibrate day in and day out. If there is anything worthy of praise, commendable, think on these things. And by the way, in each of those that Paul talks about here in verse 8, each of those is found in Christ. Paul said, be imitators of me, not because I'm me, he says, be imitators of me as I am in Christ. All of these are found in Christ. What should inundate our thinking? What should be our thinking constantly? Thinking upon Christ and all that he has done for us. So what kind of things have you chosen to fill your mind with? Is it time for you to recalibrate? See, I have to ask myself that question every morning. Do I need to recalibrate? The answer is always, absolutely. Absolutely. There's never a day when I can't tell myself, you need to think on good things. Think on good things. And they all point towards Christ. And if you haven't, thought on good things. Have you, have you haven't thought on these things that Paul talks about here. Where have those thoughts, the other thoughts, led you? You see, that's a, a question that you can ask yourself, and you can answer that. For when we think on things that are divisive, on things that are hateful, do they lead us closer to God, or do they take us further away? The answer is built into that statement. Is it time to change that pattern? If you're not thinking upon these things, it is. I can assure you it is time for a change. And there's no better day than today. No better time than now to change those patterns in your life. Because God has called us to a higher calling. He has called us to live after his son who gave us the example who lived a perfect life on this, life, this earth. And he suffered for you and I. Put in the grave, but overcame death so that you and I may have a hope beyond this shell of a body and this world we now live in. If you don't have that hope today, then today is your day to make that change. And if you need to make that change, we stand ready to help you in any way that we can. Together we stand and sing.